BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast with Kate Riga. We actually have some breaking news that just uh, moved maybe a half hour ago, something like that. And we're recording uh, just after 12 noon on Wednesday, December 6th. Kevin McCarthy just announced that he is going to be resigning from Congress at the end of this calendar year. So three weeks, something like that. Uh, and among other things, with uh, George Santos having been expelled, becoming only the sixth person ever expelled uh, from the House of Representatives, with him leaving or him leaving, him gone, and uh, McCarthy leaving, Kate and I were just talking about this before the episode starts. We think that's down to a two-seat margin for House Republicans. Now, at the moment, uh, no one seems to be passing anything, so maybe it's 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 sort of a theoretical issue. It it could it could slightly complicate things whenever the House Freedom Caucus types get around to trying to boot Mike Johnson, who now seems to been be. I'm not sure he's in a he's in a honeymoon exactly. It's not that affirmative. It's more that for the moment, kind of no one cares. Freedom, no, no one cares. You know, Freedom Caucus people don't care. Whatever. You know, he's doing enough stuff for them to uh, be happy with him. But one thing that occurred to me, you know, Johnson today is getting some flack for the fact that he has agreed to release all of the Jan Six closed-circuit TV footage that the House of Representatives owns and controls. But as you've probably seen, he de he's decided that they're going to blur the pictures of the rioters inside the Capitol complex. Why? To prevent them from getting indicted to prevent the Department of Justice from uh, holding them to account for their crimes. Now, there's a there's a little detail here that that 
hasn't come up in 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 most of the coverage here. But that detail is, and one of Johnson's aides, a guy named Raj Shah, who used to work for Trump, now works for Johnson, said in uh, one press account. DOJ already has access to all this stuff. No one's preventing the Department of Justice from looking at any of these videos. The key is, though, in most of these cases, uh, maybe not every single one, but most of them, it's these online sleuths who crowdsource finding people's images, finding out who they who they are, their real identities, tracking them through the events of January 6th. And usually they're, they're um, forced to do this by, you know, people's iPhone videos that are, you know, were posted to Twitter and all this kind of stuff. Those people pull together the details and serve it up to the Department of Justice. And then the Department of Justice indicts. So that is how he is protecting these people, even though the Department of Justice does have access to the non-blurred stuff. Now, a few months ago, what is it, two or three months, I'm trying to remember, you know, how long has has Mike Johnson been the speaker? I guess that was back in October. So a couple months ago. When that first happened, I went back and um, I, I I went through his podcast. He does a podcast with his wife. And I mentioned doing this in an episode of our podcast, you know, around the time he was made speaker. And the stuff I found had no particular bombshell. So, you know, sort of an hour of my life wasted. But I, I remember this morning that uh, in the podcast he did about January 6th, he has some quotes in there saying, these awful criminals shamed our country. They're terrible. No one can ever defend them. Well, you know, things change. So here's my thought of how this connects to, to Kevin McCarthy. Let's pull all this together. Um, there's nothing strange about Kevin McCarthy resigning from Congress. When you cease to be speaker, um, certainly when you cease to be speaker involuntarily, you people in that position almost always retire, and often they just resign. No one wants to be. No one wants to have been speaker, then go back to being a bat a backbencher. Just you know, your average member of Congress. And in some ways, it's almost weird. Right, it just you being around is weird. It's it's sort of like uh, if a new president gets elected and the and the old guy is still just has a little, you know, little mini apartment upstairs. Right, <laughs> the old person has to leave. It's sort of like you know how it was weird when uh, when Pope Benedict uh, uh, retired as Pope. You're like two popes, you can't have two popes. You can't have two speakers. Right. But clearly with Kevin McCarthy, he wasn't quite done after he got the boot. If we remember when it took so long to choose another speaker, what was it, three weeks, three and a half weeks, something like that. A lot of that, most of that was because of all the dysfunction and factionalism that we know about in the in the House GOP caucus. But a significant factor 
was McCarthy, even after he had been booted, clearly put a lot of effort into making it hard for whoever else was going to come in and try to replace him. He be, he went full chaos agent, right? After he was deposed, he made it really hard for Steve Scalise. Uh, he basically made it hard for that Emmer dude who also went down in flames and for, you know, 10 other people whose names were, 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 were briefly, um, were briefly mentioned. Uh, and he was clearly kind of sticking around to do that with Mike Johnson. Uh, but at this point, Johnson's lasted 60 days. That's pretty, that's pr- pretty strong showing for a Republican speaker in, in our era. So I think he knows that, that Johnson is here at, at, at least for now. So it's time for, it's, it's time for, um, Kevin McCarthy to to leave the stage and if anything his 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 final act as a member of the house will still kind of you know put the shiv into into Mike Johnson a bit since it's going to tighten their um tighten their margin going to be down probably to two votes again we're Kate and I before we started recording we're kind of thinking like oh is there, is there anybody else who's resigned you know like Patrick McHenry uh the guy who was you know, uh, interim speaker, emergency speaker, whatever. He's also stepping down, but he's going to serve out his term. So uh, anyway, we've got a number of things we're going to talk about. We've got a uh, Republican presidential debate, such as it is tonight. So we're going to do a little preview of that. We're also going to talk about the other uh, former member of the House, George Santos, the, the the show finally ended, right? He's actually, he's he's out. He's he's uh, having a second life on Cameo. You can, what is it? I, I guess if you pay a hundred bucks, he'll send you a video message of himself. So that's that's exciting. We're even going to get into a little little Senate shenanigans, but uh, let's start off with uh, the debate preview. What are we? If we're even going to call it a debate, Kate, what's the what's the story tonight? Who and who's going to be there? on the stage. They've thinned out a bit. Yeah. Okay. Real quick. Can I start with a Pope Benedict anecdote? Because you've given me the perfect opening. There you go. Okay. So um, I went to an all girls Catholic high school and there was this girl in my Latin class who like drank the Kool-Aid, I tell you. Like she would kind of go around talking about how her life plan was to be married by 21 so she could have between 10 and 12 children, like very, okay, bought in. Um, And when Benedict abdicated, it was like a big deal at school. Like they put it on the TVs and, you know, the whole waiting for the white smoke and et cetera, et cetera. And she was sobbing in class and everyone's like, what's wrong? And she's like, he's just such a good man. And it's just so incredible to watch him willingly step down for all of our well-beings and like on and on and on. And I'm just sitting there like, I don't think Pope Benedict has moved anyone to this degree of passion in his tenure, you know, but it would warm his heart to know that there's like a 15, 16 year old girl here who is just, you know, Beatles level beside herself. So it, 
it's interesting because, you know, I mean, Benedict, obviously like a very influential theological figure in the Catholic Church long before he was, long before he became Benedict, but his papacy was sort of, you know, loved by uh, conservative Catholics, you know, liberal Catholics, not so, not so um, crazy about him. But as you say, there's not, it was a, it was a pretty cerebral papacy, not a lot of like, you know, John Paul had that when he would do those international youth day things and you'd see these young people really into John Paul, but, but Benedict couldn't quite. That's the thing. He's just, he's not, he wasn't really a celebrity Pope, but you know, he, he touched at least one heart. So that's my Pope Benedict story. All right. All right. Um, Well, there you go. Okay. And, uh, so from Benedict to debates, from Benedict to debates. So tonight there's going to be four people on the stage. It's DeSantis, Haley, uh, Ramaswamy and Chris Christie by the absolute skin of his teeth. Like just mere days ago, he kind of convinced them that his polling counted and uh, made the threshold. So it'll be the four of them in Tuscaloosa. Um, the moderators are quite weird this time. It's Megan Kelly because she just can't get rid of her, right? She doesn't go away. It doesn't matter what happened. And for those who have kind of forgotten about where we are in the cycle of Megyn Kelly's career, we'll remember that it was actually another debate that kind of launched her, I guess, her second stage. You know, she was a big kind of Fox News person. She got in that famous tiff with Trump that, you know, uh, made him allude to her being on her period. And then she had this kind of like brief second life as an NBC morning show, kind of uh, gauzy. They tried to make her go legit, basically, and it just right. didn't, didn't happen. Right, which was kind of doomed to fail, right? Because, I mean, part of her thing was being, like, combative and, like, you know, Fox News fighty. So that didn't really – that doesn't work in the morning hour. You know, that's not when you want your daily dose of conflict. Um, so that failed. Also, I think the actual event that precipitated her downfall from that job was when she was, like, musing on air about if it's okay for white people to um, – do blackface on Halloween. Oh, blackface. Okay, sort of same. Yeah, similar. Yeah. Um, and then she kind of had a third act, which she's in now as primarily, I mean, she's back to doing her right-wing stuff, but she's like a podcaster, like has a serious XM kind of setup, um, which actually seems to be fairly popular. So anyway, she's going to be one of the hosts. And then the the other one is um, a News Nation person, which, to be completely honest with you, I wasn't even sure what News Nation was, except that it sounded a little bit like Newsmax. Um, I guess got it's Chris like, Cuomo. That's where he right. landed. Now, is it yeah. is News? I, when I saw that, are they the hosts of it, or is that just that's one right. person is from? Okay, those, they're, no, they're, they're the, the host, which is like a big coup for them. I guess that they kind of won it out over more established networks. It's interesting because they have – they seem to have become like the landing place for a number of people who were big, you know, big yeah. deals like Chris Cuomo. Um, this woman, who is it? Is it Vargas? Isn't she? That's she right. Was, Former ABC. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, I guess these days with like uh, people see uh, Newsmax and OANN and I guess News Nation, it, it's not – it's not right wing in that sense. No, it's like it's billing itself. I mean, it's the eight millionth outlet to do this, but that's billing itself as, you know, no partisan spin. We are serving the underserved center, which is like 
cool. I mean, best of luck, right? Everyone who's tried right. to do this so far has failed, but <laughs> you know, right, right, right. Um, okay, so they, they're the they're the hosts, and yeah, okay, and then so the Megan third Kelly one I think then... is just um like a news editor from the Free Beacon, a conservative kind of outlet. So the, uh, that's the trio. Um, yeah, and then these four on stage. It's just what what can we say about this, right? Like we've kind of talked about all the debates so far. I mean, insofar as it's interesting, we might get to see Nikki Haley murder Vivek Ramaswamy on stage, which would be fun. Um, you know, Haley, as we discussed last pod, has had some Nikki mentum, so you can kind of expect her to maybe take the brunt of attacks. Um, she got the Coke money, a uh, kind of a major Democratic donor also just forked over, I think, like $150,000 kind of in the name of sustaining a primary challenge to Trump. So, and you she know, accepted it? So she took the money? Uh, yeah, is I think it? so. Huh. That's interesting. Um, so it kind of like we said last time, money keeps you in the race for a long time. There is a pool of kind of establishment-y Republicans who don't like Trump for various reasons and who are interested in having a non-Trump candidate in the race. Um, and like we said, that could have some marginal effects. And, you know, you don't want to be too presumptuous because these races are marginal things. But Trump is, as usual, kind of kicking everyone's ass. He's not going tonight. He is doing some kind of PAC fundraiser type thing. Um, and I guess we'll have a Ron DeSantis fresh off his Battle of the Titans debate with uh, Gavin Newsom, moderated by the ever impartial Sean Hannity. Um, so, you know, battle tested. He, he's going to be ready. Yeah, it is. I guess I'm, I mean, as you say, Trump is going to be the nominee, but I think what we're at least looking at now is whether there is at least going to be a, you know, a battle where Haley goes to 20% or something like that. And then you have a few primaries on, on that basis, right. uh, you know, and, I, I guess I saw in some of the coverage that they said that the moderators are going to do everything they can to basically make it about Trump, make Trump mm -hmm. present in in the in the thing, even though he's not going to be there. And you know, okay, I guess. I mean, it's it's I I, I kind of wonder. It is different. What in the in the in the other in the earlier debates? I feel like there were like seven or eight people. Mm -hmm. on the stage give it you know some some in that in that uh uh ballpark and it does change the dynamic when you've got fewer fewer people because when you have like you know upwards of 10 people there's a lot of round robining and stuff like yeah. that and it's the the hosts have to make a lot of attempt to make sure everybody gets enough time and all that kind of stuff so you may see a little more a little more back and forth i guess yeah, I think we're just almost at the point where the questions I'd be interested in hearing answers to have been asked like two or three times. And, yeah. you know, you're just not going to get any kind of derivation from the the consultant approved, like prepped responses. So, you know, at some point I was kind of interested to hear what they'd say about abortion. And it's like, well, you know, how many more times can we hear the Nikki Haley, like, I have empathy for the baby killers response, you know, um, yep. like, who is Ramaswamy going to call up on the stage to resign this time? It's just kind of <laughs> at some point, um, it's really just going to be, 
I think probably a bloodbath. Like this is the last debate on the schedule. So I think really all you can say that's in it for you as one of these four is to try to give a death wound to one of the other, you know, people on stage in, in the ever, um, ever ferocious battle for second. Yeah. 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 Well, all right. So. All right. Know, well, uh, I will be uh, more power to working, covering it. So uh, come right along on the live blog. Um, you know, and my, the best pitch I can give is that it's pretty low stakes, pretty uh, not like cataclysmic for the country. And you can't say that about much anymore. So we need to hold on to these things that are like kind of funny and not that dangerous while we can, which is the perfect segue to George Santos, who I really did appreciate in these waning days as I was reflecting back, thinking about like, here's someone who's comedic and entertainment value was so high. And his, while I think he was, you know, a malevolent character, the damage he did was somewhat limited, right? It's like he ripped off some Republican donors. He for sure like defrauded the people in his district. But in the universe of harms that we're kind of contemplating in today's politics, pretty small potatoes. And God, what a gold mine! You know, how many headlines, how many anecdotes? I mean, this guy was in the house for like 11 months and he is going to be an indelible character in American political history, you know, as far as the eye can see. Yeah, no question. I think I saw that someone has, basically they're going to make a, a mini series on, I think HBO I or Showtime, someone optioned it or something like that. Some big name person, I can't, I can't remember who, but the kind of, you know, kind of person who has the, the heft to do something like this. I mean, it's, it's almost, it's great material, but it's almost one of these things where can it be better than the live version, right? I mean, what <laughs> the material kind of the material is so good, it's it's hard to see how you can outdo the material. Like, yeah, who, who's gonna I'm, who's gonna bring an extra edge to it? I'm also just kind of um, instinctually opposed to this new trend of like insta biopic thing that the thing happens and then two weeks later there's uh like you know a, a mini series yeah. of it on whatever of the streamings because it's like you know i get that you want to kind of take advantage of the news cycle type thing but i mean it's, it's just this is an offshoot of what you're saying which is like well, what are you adding to it when it just happened when this is all super fresh in our memories when like people who are politically interested can tell you not only who george santos is but their favorite scandal of George Santos's. Yeah. Yeah. It, it that, you know, it's kind of what I what I was saying. You're not gonna like, oh yeah, I forgot that. I forgot right. I forgot when he did this or forgot when he did that. It is it is a little hard to know what more there is to say about it. You know, he he's sort of one of these people who well, like Trump in a lot of ways, but the way that is occurring to me now is, you know, who knows if Trump is act is ever going to be held criminally accountable for anything. Um, I think that if he is not elected president, I'm pretty confident he will be. I'm, I'm. It's very hard for me to believe that he won't be convicted of at least one of these cases. And at some point, that means you're going to, you know, for all of the years of 
invulnerability and the sense of kind of like he, you know, being indicted doesn't matter. He just keeps moving forward. And somehow you never see him being taken off by the, you know, by the bailiffs to, to serve out his sentence. Santos has some of that too. In some ways he has more of that because, you know, just things would keep coming out and then he keeps getting indicted and then re-indicted and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's, with Santos, who doesn't have either current or after-the-fact presidential immunity, you keep thinking like at some point he's got to like trim his sails and try to like try to deal with his legal problems. But no, right? I mean, he to the day he got expelled, he was like living his best criminal life on stage, and at some point he is going to get convicted or he'll plea out and he is going to go to prison. There is absolutely no question about it. Absolutely no question. And it's just these Trump and Santos type people, they create this illusion that it's never going to happen because they don't they don't do any of the things that you do in recognition of the fact that you're going to go to prison. And 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 we all end up believing it, but he will go to prison. Trump, we don't know because because the cases are a little are 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 a little more unique, and he may be elected president, in which case none of it matters. But George Santos will go to prison. There's no question. It's funny because I was, you know, up on the hill for kind of the end of his career. He had this like big press conference. Um, it was like. 30 degrees and 8 a.m. and everyone was out there. And he just, he kind of reminded me of Trump in various ways. Like, you know, the structure of the speech in terms of the, and this is a common DC thing, but the arrogance of people who think that they are proficient off the cuff speakers when almost no one is a good extra, um, as you can see, (laughs) extemporaneous Extemporaneous, speaker. Um, But, you know, so he would kind of try on the MAGA suit at times, like kind of rail against the treatment of the insurrectionists. Um, But you could tell like his heart wasn't really in it. Like, why does he care? What difference does it make to him? Um, And he had this other really distinct Trumpian quality of obsequiousness towards the media. And again, he would try to do the Trump stuff of like, well, why aren't you guys digging for dirt with anyone else? Like, there's so much to go around. And then... But you can tell he wants reporters to like him, right? Like he credits the New York Times reporter who's there who kind of broke that initial story uh, that put him <laughs> on everyone's radar. You know, he's like, well, you know, without her, we wouldn't we wouldn't all be here. It's just it's this weird thing where you can tell that like he thought it was cool to be in Congress. Like he thought it was cool to be a congressman, to have all the trappings that come with that, to, even to some extent to be a freshman who is constantly sought out, who is constantly flanked by reporters. Like that is a unique and cool feeling to go from nothing to fame. And I was kind of sitting there listening, trying to discern if there's any part of him that seems aware of what comes next, that like this was the fun part, that the fun part is quickly drawing to an end and that the next part is going to be unpleasant, however you slice it. Um, And maybe 
permanently life-altering, depending on how things shake out. But it was just, I don't know if it's, you know, mental illness or just a commitment to the bit, but he was buying what he was selling, you know? There was no... We weren't even close to the terrain of remorse. You know, we were on the, I'm going to keep spinning my wheels faster and faster and faster. And like, I'm running out of road, but not there yet. So it's just, it's this weird, like mental state that people go into when they're up against like big trouble. Like you're, you're out of time, but you just keep kind of doing what you've always been doing, flinging spaghetti at the walls and Mm -hmm, and having mm -hmm. press conferences and having pen and pads in your office and doing these cameos that he's now doing, you know, it's just a flurry of motion to kind of avoid looking even a few steps ahead. It's, you know, in a sense, he has certainly from the point at which he got indicted, but really from the first week or so after that New York Times article came out, he's, you know, like that person, you know, who, who jumps out of the building and someone asks him as they go past the 50th floor, like, how's it going? He's like, so far, so good. Right. (laughs) You know, so he's, he's the, 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 the end state has, has always been clear. I mean, Early, maybe very early on, it wasn't hundred percent clear he would he would face prosecution, but crystal clear from the beginning that he had one term in Congress. You know that, and and as we said, he just never. He has been totally committed to never. I was going to say never accepting that, never acting in the way that someone acts if they have accepted that reality. Just gravity doesn't um, apply to me. And when you said that point about you know whether it's like mental illness, I'm not sure it's mental illness, but this is this is this is what being a con man is, right? You never you you, you kind of can't stop playing the con, and that's yeah. You know, that's just – now, let me ask you this because if I remember, that press conference was like the day before he was expelled, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did he did he do another thing after he was expelled or did he just go off to party afterwards? No, he just kind of like left um, in a scrum of reporters and said, you know, to hell with this place, which is like perfect, you know, good <laughs> good job, good prep work on that, you know. I, I have my issues with the speech, but that's – that's a good line. That's a good way to go out. Um, yeah, yeah. There, I'm, I'm sort of surprised he didn't try to like milk one more press conference out of it. Yeah, no, I guess right on to the cameo game. There is like one point of his departure that I find interesting and kind of inscrutable, which is House leadership's reaction to the expulsion vote. Because they kept their cards close to the vest until the day before. And that was the first crack when Scalise said he was going to vote against expulsion. And you're kind of like, okay, fine. Weird a little bit to have kind of like the majority leader say how he's going to vote, but the speaker stays mom, right? Like the whip stays mom. So you're just, Mm -hmm. okay, maybe in this kind of tumultuous time, you can like go rogue a little bit more than you used to be able to. But then the next day, hours before the vote, Mike Johnson was like, me too. I'm also going to vote against expulsion. 
But they didn't do any whipping. They didn't do any kind of effort to make everyone else get on board with that, which that would have made sense, right? Like that would have been a calculation that, again, Santos's vote is worth the baggage of having Santos in your in your group. But announcing that you're going to vote the way that conventional wisdom, even though there was some like flurry of doubts right before the vote, but conventional wisdom held that he was going. He was done. Santos himself kept saying like, no, I'm going to get expelled. I mean, I'm not going to survive this vote. So then at that point, it's like, so what, you guys just want to go on the record, like losing kind of? And it's not even, I've seen some efforts to explain it as some kind of um, pandering to the far right of the party, some some kind of stake-free way to show them I'm on your side. But this wasn't even a it wasn't like kind of a neat diametric split where the hard right was like mad about it. You know, you just, you kind of had a, a few people who I, I would say their identities are pretty, are rooted in that part of the party, but saying, you know, this was like Matt Gates getting up there and saying, uh, George Santos, whoever he is, like, I don't really care about him. I mean, just like a transparent <laughs> attempt to like set a precedent that if anyone gets in, anyone, whoever it could be, gets in trouble in the future, they don't get kind of automatically booted. But it really right. wasn't a thing where the House Freedom Caucus was like, we are absolutely furious about this. And then it was leadership's attempt to kind of like curry good favor with that. It was just this weird last minute thing of like, also, we're going to go on the record of being on the losing side of this vote, which is just not something that party leadership tends to like to do in general. Yeah, I I do feel like he, I'm trying to think of how to describe them. They're... Um, you know, the sort of the morning zoo part of the Freedom Caucus, Gates, Bobert, that you know, that kind of uh do, where did Nancy Mace did Nancy Mace I think Nancy Mace voted against it too, right? Voted against expelling him, I think. If she Maybe did, not. she didn't make it a big um like a point, point of principle. You know, like the people who were speaking on his behalf on the floor, it was Gates and it was like some older guys from the kind of right wing. Yeah, the, that kind of the uh, the sort of the Kevin Killer. Group, yeah, subgroup yeah. Even of the I would say Caucus. like the quote unquote kind of veterans of the House Freedom Movement, and then like plus Matt Gates. Like the the newer generation was not as much involved with this one. Right, right, right. Well, that uh, I, I I would assume they just did that on i don't know institutional grounds you sh- you know shouldn't be too, you know we shouldn't make it too easy to expel someone or i don't know it's weird <laughs> it was just a bit weird like it doesn't really matter it's not that big of a deal but it's kind of just like if you're going to let everyone go like let everyone vote the way that they want almost just then you know go along you know, don't kind of make it this thing of like, well, I'm going to vote against expulsion. It's like, well, now you just look vaguely like out of control of your conference. What about the whip? How did the whip vote? Whip is still Emmer, right? Yeah. Against. Yeah. How did he? How did he uh, huh. Against expulsion. All leadership kind of then kind of coalesced behind it at the end. It was just weird. I mean, it could just be something as simple as like these guys don't really know how to, you know, Johnson's new. Maybe they just don't really. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't where they're like concentrating their efforts of how to try to figure out how to do this but it was just right, a, right. it was weird and it did create kind of a last minute kerfuffle where there was some kind of like 
insidery Beltway reporters being like, I don't know, the tide might be turning. Um, but then obviously he got kind of thrown out on his ass pretty handily. So interesting. And the last thing I wanted to say about Santos is when I was thinking through why I thought he was just a funny figure and not one that like gives me that much concern is that so much of the Republican Party now is evidence of the malignance of the Trump and post-Trump era, right? I mean, we're not really post-Trump, but the post-Trump administration where, you know, the inability to elect a speaker is like, on the one hand, funny. On the other hand, a pretty disturbing data point in terms of this authoritarian slide in which a non-functional legislature is preferable, right? So there's like, you can kind of get entertainment value out of it, but it's hard to avoid the darker undertones of what's going on. Whereas Santos almost feels like from a bygone era, you know, of like from, (laughs) from a time where it was easier to get away with like such blatant bullshittery because not everything was on computers and it was like harder to track if people were telling the truth about stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost, I mean, you almost are like, I can't believe he got that far, you know, making up absolutely everything in his life. Um, And I don't think that it's necessarily kind of evidence of this Republican rot, you know, it's more just kind of, you had this like generational, con man who wiggled through no matter our kind of connectivity and you know resources at our fingertips and got elected and i guess you know some people make the case of like it's you know dying journalism but like also not really because he's from a pretty well served area it's just very it was, tons of tons of news organizations yeah, yeah it's just kind yeah. of this like this one off thing where like you say at the best he was going to get one term and then his race was probably going to be the most expensive in the country because what better fundraising pitch could there be than like come help boot George Santos (laughs) right so I don't know I mean now the only the only sad thing is that I don't think he was there long enough to dig up the dirt that he professes to have. You know, he's doing the Madison Cawthorn cocaine orgies thing of being like, I could name names. And, you know, at this press conference, we were all like, name the names. And he was like, no, not right now. It's not appropriate. And it's like, OK, well, you clearly like have spent the past 11 months talking to like just Lauren Bober and not really learning anything else of value. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 pretty hard to imagine. Imagine that whoever the, you know, octogenarian House Republican orgy meister is was going to go to George and like, all right, here's how we do it, dude. Here's the names and here's the places we meet and everything. So yeah, I, it's 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 not like there was a pre-scandal George that everybody was going to be dishing to him about all the dark secrets and everything. Um, If there's one thing I trust about you, it's that you are trustworthy and probably not headed for a situation where having information to trade would behoove you, right? Right, right, right. I will say that, you know, the the one way in which, I mean, maybe there are others, but the way that occurs to me that he is a symptom of the Republican rot is an indirect way, and that is these candidacies that have cropped up, not exclusively, well, not exclusively Republicans, but overwhelmingly Republicans, 
where you take a hopeless case, you know, they're, they're sort of, uh, oh God, what, it, you know, the producers, the movie, the producers where they put on the play that they know is going to fail. They are candidacy versions of the producers where you have a totally hopeless race. Uh, you get someone who is very uh, social media genic, for lack of a better word, make a lot of make a lot of noise on social media, raise a ton of money in a hopeless race from from, you know, Republican stalwarts on social media and launder that money to buy food and cars and 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 whatever. You know, you have uh and our 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 colleagues Hunter and Josh have have I think she came up in one of their recent stories. You have this woman who I think is now going to run against uh AOC for like the second or third time. This this far right crazy woman from out in Queens, who's you know the ultimate Trumper. She you know raises tons. Of, so she, he he's part he's partly a symptom of that, but more generally, as you say, you know it's kind of it is it's obvious that Democrats are going to make him part of the culture of lying and phoniness and whatever, and you know kind of. You know, how can you, it would be malpractice not to loop him into the story. But as you say, he's pretty, he's pretty sui generis, right? There, there's not a lot of uh, fake con man weirdo candidates out there. <laughs> you know, you have, I, when he was, when he was going down in flames, there was this guy, what is it, Ogles, Ogle? down in oh, Tennessee. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's got a lot of, um, you know, kind of padded resume stuff and some weird stuff in his in his background. And uh, Santos was certainly not the only candidate who's ever exaggerated his resume or had some stories in his background that didn't add up. What was unique about him was just the pure volume of stories and that there was not a thing under there. Like with Ogles, I can't remember what his background is, you know, local businessman involved in Republican politics. And I think, uh, I think one of the things that he's gotten in trouble for is he's kind of, uh, you know, made himself out to be sort of like an ex cop and a anti-terrorism mm -hmm. expert and really, he just did a weekend volunteering for some police department, you know, so kind of like whatever. But there's no there's no underlying thing with Santos. He's 100% the made up stories. But I do, I relate to what you're saying in the sense that um, our politics has gotten so dark in the last few years that it has made it challenging to have fun with it, for lack of a better word. And that is, in some ways, especially a challenge for us at TPM because that's kind of what we like to do. We like seeing the absurd in our politics and being, on the one hand, taking politics very seriously, taking policy very seriously, and also not being over-serious at all and, and just seeing the 
the absurdity and craziness of politics. And we still do that because we refuse to stop doing that. But there has been this air in recent history where where someone like Trump, you're like, he is hilarious and a freak and absurd. And he also wants to get reelected and have the military start shooting people on day one of his next term. That's not funny. That's a that's kind of a buzzkill, right? So again, we're not giving up. We're going to we're going to keep talking about the absurdity of our politics and even and even finding the comic absurdity in things that are quite dark. But um Santos was a throwback to a an a more innocent era where as you say, there's there's nothing really dark there. I mean, yeah, some people some people who gave him money thinking he was going to torture immigrants. He just used it on Botox. But like, okay, I'm not going to lose too much sleep over that. And as you say, there's just it's, – it's, it's not he's, – he's purely an absurd character. And there's, there's no there's, – there's, no, um, there's no dark lining. There's no you – know, there, there, there's, there's no inverse silver lining around the clouds that someone's going to say, you know, you think it's funny, but think of the consequences of George Santos. Think of the suffering. Well, there is no yeah. suffering. It's actually I mean, pure I, pleasure. I guarantee people, the people would react that way on Twitter if you were to dare to to kind of say this. But I think what you said is a really good point. And to make the case for George Santos is even kind of an, an important one, which is when our politics are as bleak and as scary as they are right now, people do stop paying attention. And like, it's hard to kind of fault them for that. You know, a lot of people who I'm close to in my life just tune out because, it, you know, I mean, you don't want to put yourself in a bad mood every day. Like, I get that, you know. But George Santos was this moment of, it was just funny. Like, you could just kind of laugh about it. You know, you could laugh at the sheer quantity, at like the absurdity of the lies like my personal favorite will always be the baruch volleyball team thing because it's like <laughs> dude why you're not even that tall it's just it's so yeah i mean he's a short portly guy it's so yeah, like, funny well, yeah and it's yeah, so funny totally. to think about the people who are on the baruch volleyball team who are probably like what the fuck like why is the new york times calling us you know it's just uh, I don't know. I'm going to miss him. Well, I, I will say one one last thing, and this, this goes to the artistry of the man, that there could have come a point when, you know, because look, ever, you know, presumably not many, not many people have quite as many skeletons or as funny as skeletons <laughs> in their closet as George Santos. But no one would like having their worst moments broadcast for everyone to see. So it's possible that a different George Santos could have at some point you start to feel sorry for him. Right? Like like okay, he sucks and he's a liar, but like this is pretty you know, I still feel bad for him d- despite how he brought it on himself, but he managed to <laughs> He 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 was he was always coming back with a little little white supremacist hand signal, a, a little um, 
I don't know. He 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 kept coming back with things, you know, being for Trump, uh, uh, talking about. I, I don't know. He 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 kept. He made sure no one ever got to that point because he was he was uh, malevolent, albeit without any consequence. Enough that you could always keep saying, "This is you know that th- that famous cartoon." You know, stop. He's dead. He's dead. Keep hitting him <laughs> because he's saying enough stuff. I'm never going to feel sorry. So there's an artistry. Totally. He kept it alive. He kept yeah. it alive. So what we salute a public George service. Really? He is. It is. People, a, a weary, beleaguered nation needs a George Santos for comic relief. So even if even if he committed you, some, Mr. yes, yes, we 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 bid you, we 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 bid you good luck in 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 your in your during your incarceration. Okay, well that that is we have. I feel like we have bid George Santos uh, farewell as he's shaken off this congressional coil, and um, I don't think we can top that. So I guess uh, we will be back next week with another. Another episode of of top quality podcast content. Exactly. So uh, hang out with me while I have to cover this debate tonight. Don't make me yeah, do I'll it alone. Yeah, I'll be there too. I'll be there yep. too. So both bo- Josh and, and Kate. Uh, we will be suffering together, and then we will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. All right. Bye. The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song, and thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe wherever you listen. 